Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Live from the Table here on Sirius XM Raw Dog and uh, wherever fine podcasts are distributed. I'm here tonight with basically nobody. My name is Noam Dwarman. That is so rude. I'm here with Periel Ashenbrand, our producer, who takes full responsibility for the lack of people here. <laughs> but she doesn't take responsibility for it. She's, somehow things happen to her, not... Uh, by her that sounds like um so but we have we do have we do have a great guest from msnbc tonight who's going to tell us why the crime is uh increasing so much in the country so before she comes periel um what's new in comedy news this week wait so first of all what happened to me like I'm here. I you asked me to get this guest. It, wait, 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 wait. It took me a long time to get her because she's a pretty important person. So I got her. Your co-host went to Aruba and told me yesterday. No, that, no. He told us. Nicole, you were there. He told you last week. No, he didn't. I heard him. He said he's going to be in Aruba. It was always the plan to zoom him in. He told us yesterday. Yesterday, we, we, had, we had more than 24 hours. He told us yesterday, 10 a.m. We had whatever that is, 36 hours. Or so maybe you're saying I should have hours. moved it? Of course, 33 hours, yes. Um, we could have moved it an hour earlier. And then also, we also like to have a comedian guest. And um, who's our guest this week, Periel? Me. Okay, so that's fine. But it doesn't matter because I, I can carry the load. Um, so... What's that David Tell joke that he does to Jeff Ross when they're doing bumping, bumping mics? He says, does your back hurt? I'm carrying the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My back hurts from carrying the show. <laughs> but anyway, I miss I miss Dan so much. And um, I, th- I think he, people don't appreciate Dan. They're going to they're going to miss him in his absence today. So but Periel, uh, Nicole is our producer, our, our, our sound engineer. And um, Maybe the girls should talk about this because apparently um, there's a lot going on in Pete Davidson world between Kim Kardashian and Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Yeah. And uh, that's usually the, you know, the time I change the channel. But apparently this is very important to people. Well, it's a huge story. I mean, huge story. It is a huge story because that's what people care about is nonsense like this. Instead of, you know, real topics like we're the one we're about to talk about. But it's important, I think, because. Well, you're seeing, you know, the, the media sort of um, really dig their heels into this fucking insane spectacle of this very public divorce and Kanye West, who is posting nonstop on social media. Um, and people are saying it's really sort of harassing him and Kanye's crazy and he's hurt. Yes, he is. Um, I mean, I, the thing that really bothers me and, and I certainly don't condone harassing anyone ever. Um, you always take her side, but go ahead. Go no, ahead. I like her. I do. I like her. I think she's really I mean, I don't know her personally, but I, I think she's probably like really smart. And you know what fascinates me about the story is that she has fake. Am I correct? Am I correct? She has a lot of fake. Like she has 
butt implants and breast implants. I don't know. Lip implants. Well, if you look at pictures of her, uh, I don't want to get sued now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you can get sued. I don't know what she has. And then, you know, she's like an Armenian white girl. Um, It's just interesting to me. What is it like to be uh, physical with a woman who has so much? Why you don't know you've never been physical with a woman who has had um, breast implants? I find that I have actually. I I didn't like it. Why not? Because it was... um, because part of the thrill of touching a woman's breasts is that you're touching a woman's breasts. Well, I don't know. I mean, who cares if they have, I don't know. I mean, I've, they feel, I mean, they feel kind of cool breast implants. They feel like bags of saline. That's what they feel like. Okay. Well, putting that aside, you have breast implants. I do not have breast implants. Right. Um, but, and then butt implants. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I and don't then know. Kissing she- lip implants. I don't know if she has lip implants or not. I wish you look at this before. Uh, uh, um, Nicole, is there like a good, like before and after Kim Kardashian? There must be some Kim Kardashian. Is it Kardashian or Kardashian? It's Kardashian. The thing is, is that that's, that's some sort of translation from the Armenian. It's probably not quite Kardashian. But okay. Ahead. Well, it doesn't matter. The thing is, is that I really, really, really take issue with the media sort of following this story, not their nonstop. Kanye's crazy. Let he's vying for attention. Let's post these stories with pictures, peppered with pictures of them from when they were together. You don't believe in capitalism, but I do. The media is posting it because people are interested. But it's disgusting. It really is. So why do you know so much about it? I it, it happened. I have no idea this is going <laughs> on. I swear to God, I'm not even I'm not even playing a part here. I have no idea this is going on. The only thing I knew about this is that Pete Davidson is dating Kim Kardashian, which so like I see these things and I have no interest in reading about it. And I don't read about it and I and I change the channel, whatever it is. What are you reading about? Whatever is interesting to me. But what's I'm saying, interesting like, to you? Like like you're at the same time. Like looking, looking through the like the, the, the you know, you're covering your eyes, but looking through the crack. But no, them. I'm not. Like, I'm, this is awful. I can't believe they're showing. <gasps> and then you're looking at it. Well, for, and then, you know, all of it. And, you know, like, you know, all of it, you know what people are saying about yeah, it. I, know. I can't believe the media is covering this. It's like they're forcing me to to be this. In the meantime, I, I'm sure I could ask you like about what's the Build Back Better program. You're like, you don't know. No, the, but media, the media does report the things you kind of what's think the they build should be back reporting. better. Program. It's like, I'm just saying, like, you have no you have no. Well, what act- is it? Do you know what it is? No, I don't know what it is. You have no, <laughs> you, know what it is. you have no actual interest in the things which supposedly you think the media should be reporting on. If the media only reported on the things that you can posture and say they should be reporting on, you wouldn't even watch the media. You would you would turn it off. Well, I think it's part of my call. Am I wrong? Yes, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're wrong. You're you would take you would take your medicine and read the things you have no interest in. I don't think that I have no interest in. I mean, I think part of my job is to be like abreast of what's going on in like uh-huh. pop culture. So you do it because you have integrity for your for profession. I do have integrity for my pr- profession so- and I can still be critical of it. I don't I mean, I, I don't like. I know, uh, but why be critical of it? Why not acknowledge? You know what? The drug dealer I'm not going to criticize the drug dealer because I keep calling him and buying the heroin. No, come on. I'm also up on, you know, lots of other things that I think really are important. I'm just saying, why would you criticize something that you that that they're reporting on something which you obviously find interesting? 
Why, why, why are you pretending to be like above it all? You I don't it, think I'm you a, find it interesting. So you should be. happy. No, I find it compelling. And oh, sorry. Compelling. You and, find it compelling. So so don't criticize it. Well, why not? Why aren't you out to criticize it? I mean, why are it you, sounds elitist? If you find it compelling, then what do you then they be stupid? They give it to you because you find it. No, compelling. they shouldn't be. They, they but the, I don't like the hypocrisy. I don't like it. it either. That's what I'm complaining about. That's what. Oh, you don't like my hypocrisy. Of course. I don't like their hypocrisy. I don't think I'm being hypocritical. Of course you don't. <laughs> What's the build back better? That's just Biden's, uh, you know, pr proposal that got shot down by the senator from West Virginia. You know his name. And anyway, do you know his name? Of course, I know his name. What's his name? Joe Manchin. But listen, the point is that this, that sounds really exciting. The point is that's right. It's not exciting to you. What's interesting to you is Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Is it Kardashian or Kardashian? Kardashian, as far as you know. But but I'm saying that there's just something that irks me about people walking around complaining about this stuff when they're lapping it up. Yeah, you're just trying to pretend like you're, you're trying to salvage your self-respect. You love this shit. No, I don't. No, no, oh, no, no, I don't. I don't love it. I mean, you can. I mean, I'm watching the Tinder swindler right now. I don't love it. Have you seen that? Of course not. Why not? <laughs> no, I, I, if it's interesting, I would watch it, but I won't. I won't. I won't subscribe to a streaming service, spend two hours watching something that's on there and say, I can't believe they showed. This. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so, it's, I feel the same. That's exactly how I feel about the Tinder swindler. But why? why are they giving this guy? Because they look at their uh, metrics and they say, yeah. you know what? Nobody's no integrity. Nobody's watching the, uh, uh, the documentary about orphans in Romania. Yeah, that's right. No, nobody's watching the Ukraine stuff. They're watching Tinder's swindlers. So that's why yeah, it's so silly, Periel. <laughs> It's do you, you know you what are that? you are. You need to take stock of yourself. Oh, please. you are ridiculous. Did you do you know what it's about? Nicole, stand up for a second. Just just blink once for yes, twice for no. I'm not blinking at all. <laughs> I'm never closing all. my eyes again. Right, do you know what it's about? Tinder swindler. Yeah. Uh, let me guess. It's about somebody on Tinder, Tinder who's swindling. So how would you swindle on Tinder? You'd swindle by somehow, uh, you know, ro get, getting uh, doing something with the people you've Somehow taking advantage of the people that you've uh, uh, mashed with on Tinder. Yeah. He frauded. Defrauded. Defrauded. Well, he committed fraud. He defrauded these really innocent women out of like hundreds of thousands of dollars. How do you do that? That's interesting. He. Oh, is it? Um, he pretended to have relationships with them, these European women, and he. I mean, it was really like a Bernie so made up money. Yeah. So he would and he would take them on like these private planes and yachts and the finest restaurants and the most expensive hotel rooms. And he was funding all of these extremely extravagant um, this extreme lifestyle with other people's money. And then he would say that he's in danger. He pretended to be the son of the biggest diamond dealer. Is he South African? So here's the kicker. He's Jewish. Israeli. Oh. Uh, so Guy, my husband, goes, this is what I need right now. <laughs> we we need him to be Israeli. He goes, why couldn't he be Palestinian? <laughs> I think he knows the answer to that. <laughs>
Um, is that Frida? Yes. Oh, amazing. Perfect timing. Well, okay. We can- she can chime in. Okay. Look at that. We actually managed to um, have a conversation without Dan that you were mildly interested in. Hi, Frida. Hello. Hi, Frida. So um, who who are we? I'm Frida and you are Noam. I'm Noam. And- that's Periel. I'm Periel. And she's going to oh, give you okay, a, an introduction. Okay. It's okay. nice to see you in sort of person. Yeah. Nice to see you. Is that is that your living room there? It's my office. Oh, that's a that's a that's a beautiful office. I love the I love that look. Go ahead. Thank you. Is it Gaitis? I want to make sure. Gaitis. Gaitis. Okay. Yeah. Frida Gaitis is a CNN contributor, a world affairs columnist, CNN opinion, Washington Post contributing columnist, and a world politics review columnist. And she's also a correspondent for sixty plus countries. Wow. Well, I'm I'm not. I, I have worked from 60 plus countries. Yeah, but I'm not a correspondent there. Right now. OK, that's most of the countries. How many countries are there? Oh, there's about 200. There's a lot of places left to go. There are 200 countries. Something like that. Yeah. She has filed her dispatch from you find that to be an amazing fact. 200. Well, countries? I've it's incredible, but it, it gets even more interesting right, as right, you right. go on. She has filed her dispatch from places as diverse as the Amazon jungle. Tibet, Moscow, Gaza, Kuwait, Sri Lanka, and has interviewed people from all walks of life, from Fidel Castro in Havana to Marxist guerrillas in the South African jungle. South the, American. Excuse me. Excuse me. The South American jungle. Sorry, I misread that. <laughs> yeah. Frida is the author of The End of Revolution, A Changing World in the Age of Live Television. You can follow her on Twitter at Frida Gitas. That's and it. G H I T I S. Yeah. Let me so, change my. So I you um I was interested to invite you on the show because I read your article about crime and crime is such a hot issue now. But now that Periel just mentioned that you interviewed Fidel Castro, I would like to to call an audible and and ask you about that. What, what what's that story? That's that sounds amazing. Oh, that's that's a long story. It was many years ago. I was in Havana uh, for CNN. And uh, there was going to be a meeting of uh, Latin American countries there. So Castro had sent out word that, you know, they weren't going to be terribly repressive, that, you know, they were going to meet certain basic freedom standards. So the the opposition, you know, the dissidents who are normally afraid to to go out and and speak out because they or they're not afraid, you know, they have to really be careful when they do it. They They saw that there was a chance to to meet with the foreign press and make their case. So they sent out word that there was going to be a, a little event with, with the opposition. So I went there and uh, before the scheduled time for the, for the demonstration, the, the government had already set up these gigantic speakers and they were blaring music that I mean, it was really, really deafening. And they had, they had hundreds of high school students out in the street dancing. And when the, and then suddenly, suddenly one man reached for his, for his pocket and pulled out his, uh, his ID. And he said, I am a citizen of Cuba. I have a right to speak. And the second he did that, the goons came over him and just pummeled him and stuffed him into a car that sped away. And that same thing happened several times. So there were these little, little scuffles. And in the scuffle, 
the CNN camera was was broken. Somebody, you know, these these people who were not in uniform, who had come from the regime, uh, started you know beating up the, the people who were trying to protest. So when he heard, and I reported that, so I got a call uh, after I got back to the office that uh, I was invited to a meeting with Fidel Castro at the National Palace. So I went, and it was a small number of journalists. And we watched the, the Fidel show. He spoke. We, I, I can't remember exactly what time we started, maybe about 7 o'clock. We were there until about 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and Fidel just spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke. Uh, in Spanish? Ev- in Spanish. You speak Spanish? I speak Spanish, yeah. And uh, every question brought out like a you know, 30-minute answer. Um, and it was really a stream of lies. It was really astonishing to watch. Wow. What, what, I, I'm sorry, just just because it's relevant to this, not that you're not supposed to ask this anymore. But what's your nationality? I'm American. I grew I mean, up in what, South I grew up in South America. Grew up in South America. That's what I want. Yeah. yeah go ahead. So go ahead. I, I'm, you know, just we're, we're not oh, you're recording right now. This is not part of the podcast yet, right? Yeah, or it is. is it this, is. Oh, OK. All yeah. right. Yeah, I, I thought we were chatting, but I guess that's the podcast is chatting. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. If it's anything you said that you don't that you're not. Comfortable no, 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 with. it's fine. It's okay, fine. But it's just good to know. Yeah. Go so go ahead. So finish. This is this is fast. So, uh, you know, my, it was you know, it was my first face to face experience with with really concerted, uh, effective disinformation, because while we, while I was sitting there in that room with Castro, uh, he started manufacturing a new reality. So uh, I had interviewed that day, that same day, I had interviewed one of the young uh, high school students. Uh, and I asked her, why are you guys here? You know, what happened? Because there was, there was supposed to be a demonstration and it was a school day. And I said, why are you guys at 11 o'clock in the morning on, dancing in the park in Havana? And she told me that uh, they had been told that they had to do this because there was going to be an anti-revolutionary act. So she told me the truth. Uh, while I was sitting there with Castro, suddenly he said, well, you know, I was, he said, I was very concerned to hear that the camera of CNN was damaged. So I wanted to know what happened. So let's hear from some of the people who were there. And in comes this girl into a room with cameras and Fidel Castro sitting. I mean, he's, he was such a gigantic figure in Cuba and she was terrified. And uh, so he started questioning her. And so by then she had been coached, obviously. And she said that, they had come because it was the anniversary of some, you know, it was some kind of a national holiday and that's what they were celebrating, which is exactly the opposite. It was not what she had told me. Uh, and then he, he said, you know, I was very concerned about what I heard reported on CNN. So I inquired. So he starts asking from a, uh, one of the police people and he handed him some, some uh, folders. And he said, uh, I wanted to know who were these people who were in fact arrested. So he starts reading the, these dossiers of the, of the people who were taken away, who were really, you know, they were, they were beaten and, and stuffed into the backseat of a car. And he starts reading the, their police uh, file, their, their, I can't remember what that's called, but he starts showing, you know, this guy had stolen a bicycle before, this guy's a well-known pickpocket. And he's, you know, they're claiming that all these people were arrested because they're criminals, because they're common criminals. And I was there, I saw it, you know, these guys were saying, we want freedom in Cuba. I mean, I watched it. It was, you know, I, I was standing face to face with the guy and then somebody started punching him. Um, and and this, this interview that we did with Castro, 
was being recorded on Cuban television uh, and it played on national television over and over and over during the next several days. And it became, it became the new reality. I mean, the fact that I had seen it, that I had been there at the event that he was describing incorrectly and that I knew the truth and that I, I could see how it was impossible to convince people that what Castro was saying was a lie. It was impossible for the truth to, to win over against this lie. Uh, it was a very shocking thing for me to see. And it, it made, uh, I mean, I had been in places like this before, but this, this one came, was particularly close because I, I saw it be created over the space of hours. And uh, it, really, it really rang with me. It echoed over the last uh, several years that we saw this kind of, uh, you know, gaslighting and disinformation come into the United States and, and this inability of the people who know the facts to, to counter the lies. So it was really, really a powerful experience. What, um, so, so look, I know I read, what was the name of the book? Like 25 years ago, I read a little bit of a book called, I think it was called Against All Odds or something like that by a guy mm -hmm. named Anthony Valladeras or something like that. But it was, it was an account of being in a Cuban prison and I didn't read the whole thing, but it was just horrifying. And why do you think it is that the, uh, American left uh, had such a soft spot for Castro and continues to this day to have such a soft spot. Is it just charisma? What it's an, it's, it's unimaginable. You know, I, I grew up in South America uh, and I saw a lot of poverty and I completely understand wanting to uh, find a way to end poverty. You know, it's, it's, it's a it's a worthy cause. It's as worthy as any cause in the world. You know, the, the the human yearning to make life better, especially for the poorest of the poor. And the the communists of that era, the, the Marxist activists, the people like Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, they they became icons of of that dream. And uh, it's very hard to give up on that dream. It's very, very hard to give up on that dream. He was seen as as the, the flag bearer. Of a, of a movement to, to lift the poor in a place, you know, it, there's something particularly obscene about poverty alongside great wealth. You know, poverty is awful, you know, extreme poverty is terrible, but when, it's, when, it, it's, when you see it side by side with great wealth, it is particularly offensive. Uh, and I've seen that in Haiti, you know, in places, we, we, you know, it exists in many places. And, and Castro uh, gave hope to the poor. The, the Cuban revolution, uh, as, as so many other communist revolutions, uh, started veering in the direction of oppression. And not only did it veer in the direction of oppression, it also failed as a, you know, in its main goal, which was to end poverty. That just didn't happen. The, you know, it, it, instead of making that, there was an old joke in, uh, in the Soviet Union uh, that, uh, Basically, you know, the, the punchline is that everybody became poor. And that's what, what happened in, uh, in Cuba. Uh, there was more, there's, there is and there was more equality, but poverty didn't end. And as an economic system, it has failed. It has failed. So, you know, I, I, I actually wrote an article about this a few weeks ago in the Washington Post about Cuba. You know, the, when I was in Cuba once, I had a conversation with a high government official, and this was 
this was off the record. And it was a time when uh, the Soviet Union, the, Russia was, the economy in Russia was coming apart. You know, the Soviet Union had collapsed and uh, they had done this, what they called shock therapy to, to inject uh, the market economy capitalism into into Russia and it was supposed to make you know the economy prosper and that didn't happen in, in, instead it just completely unraveled and you know I was talking to this guy in Cuba and I said what's going to happen with in Cuba we thought that the the regime was going to fall and he told me that what Cuba was going to do uh, was going to be more more like what China did instead of uh, instead of allowing the whole thing to to uh, to unravel the and and to get for the instead of the party giving up power and letting the economy fall apart, what what communist party was going to do in China was keep control but allow the economy to uh, to have much more of a market system so that so that prosperity would come even if the the government even if the communist party was still in power. What has happened instead is that the the poor Cubans have the the worst of all worlds. They don't have a market system to lift the standard of living like the Chinese do. And then and they don't have any kind of freedoms. So they, they have the no, no other communist part, uh, communist country is still, you know, you have, I guess, North Korea. But other than that, there were there were so many communist countries during the Cold War. Only only Cuba is still trying to make communism work. It doesn't work. You right. know, and it's a you know, it's a pity that there was no way to uh to help the people get out of poverty. So that, that's my, my Cuban experience. And I have to confess that when I was younger, I too was cheering for Cuba. I was hoping that it would help, that it would help people uh, come out of, out of that really awful poverty that, that I was seeing around me in, in South America. What, why is it, do you think that, um, well, maybe I'm not even correct, but it seems to me that most Cuban Americans at least the ones born in Cuba who came here, they support the embargo and the sanctions that we've had and tried to keep up. I think Obama lowered them for a while. I'm not sure where they are now, um, but they must also be aware of the suffering that these uh, measures uh, inflict on their on the Cuban citizens. Why do you think they support these harsh measures, even though they know it causes suffering in Cuba? Well, they, they want the regime to fall. They want the regime to fall. That's, you know, I, I had, I was talking to um, somebody in Cuba once, someone, someone who was working with me, he was a driver and he told me he had lots of family in Miami. And I said, oh, so they're helping you. And he said, no, my uncle, I think his, his father's brother, as I recall, lives in Miami. And he said that he refused to send any money to the family because he said it would help the regime. And that, you know, the overarching goal is for the regime to fall. Well, I'm, I'm, I think it's, Fantastic that you were able to tell that story because I find that very, very interesting. Were you were you ever frightened for your own safety when you were in that situation? Like, did it feel like they could possibly do something to you since ostensibly you were kind of exposing the very thing that he was trying to do? You know, I, I didn't feel, you know, I was detained once briefly uh, with my crew. We were filming something and the police came and took us took us in just for a short time. But I, I never felt in danger. You know, uh, CNN, you know, Ted, you remember Ted Turner was good friends. Ted Turner, the, the founder of CNN. Sure. And had he interviewed personal... Castro, too, on horseback or something, right? 
they were they had a personal friendship they went hunting together or something i can't remember but they were you know it's i i felt pretty safe that and and you know cnn was the only uh major i think it was the only major american uh television station net, network that had an office there at the time it may have even been the only uh western news organization i think the the wire services reuters and and ap had people there but i i i don't think i never thought that they would do anything to me no and you know let me tell you another story on on this topic uh you mentioned that i was in the in the amazon jungle and and i was i was there in in peru and uh i went to interview this was at the time i don't know if you remember the story of the when the uh the marxist guerrillas took over the home of the, the residence of the Japanese ambassador. There was a great book, a novel that was written based on that called Bel Canto. No. It was a beautiful book. They, it was an incredible thing. The, the guerrillas rented the house in this fancy neighborhood, the house behind, behind the Japanese ambassador's house. They dug a tunnel. Oh and on the God. night of the, of the National Day of Peru, of, uh, of Japan, when the Japanese ambassador invited all the foreign uh, diplomatic corps in Peru and, you know, top officials, everybody was there in their, you know, luxury, you know, in their best clothes and makeup and jewels, the gorillas broke in, busted in and took everybody hostage. Oh, my God. It was an unbelievable story. And we were there. I, I was there for, I think, maybe two months or something. And it was a day, you know, we had we we rented the house on the other side and put our cameras up and the, the hostages were writing messages with lipstick. And it was an incredible thing. But at that time, I, I went to the Amazon jungle to interview a retired member of that guerrilla group. It was called the MRTA. And uh, he was somebody who had what they, what they called the, the repentant ones. It was a program, the, the government had, the Peruvian government had had a program to allow people an amnesty program. And this guy had a, a little, um, chicken farm. So this was the big killer guy. He had been the, the ruler of a big section of Peru. And now he was raising these little baby chickens. Uh, and, and I asked him, what happened? Why did you, why did you get out of the, of the revolution business? And he told me he had, he had fought all over Latin America. He was a member of the, he was a commander in the, uh, they call it the America's brigade of Marxism. And he said that the day, the day he heard that the Berlin Wall had fallen. He said it was like the sky and the ground all crumbled at the same time. He said, I realized right there and then that if the Germans, that if Germany could not make communism work, there was no way that even if we triumphed in Peru, there was no way we would be able to make it succeed here. And that day I realized this was a lost cause, which I thought it was a very, very wow. interesting insight. And, and his comrades continued, but he got out of it. That is insane. You need to tell this stuff to AOC. <laughs> I'm not sure she's interested in talking to me. Um, by the way, I did, read, I did read a book about, the only thing I know about uh, that part of the world is from the book I read called The River of Doubt. That's what, you ever read this book, The River of Doubt about, no, about Theodore Roosevelt? Uh, he, he did a trip through the Amazon and he actually yeah. named... This river, um, the Portuguese name is different, but the River of Doubt. Uh, it's a great, it's a great um, true historical novel, I guess. I don't know what you call it. I, I've read, you know, I, I read his biography and I remember that incredible, crazy trip he took. Yes. He almost died, didn't he? Th there's an amazing part of that 
book where Roosevelt is there with his son. His son, his son's name is Kermit. I remember this. No way. Yeah. And they and they and they're starving and they come upon somebody's cottage or, you know, a hut or something like that. And there's food there and they won't eat the food because it wouldn't be right to take someone else's food. It's just kind of this. And you wonder, could this really be true? Did honor really have that kind of control over people at that time? But that's the way it's depicted in the book that. Um, Interesting. And uh, and that they waited for the people to come home, and then I think they shared the food. I could be filling in a false memory there, but but um, it's it's I really recommend that book, The River of Doubt. I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it. I'll look for that. Yeah, it oh. is really amazing, though. I spent a good deal of time in China, and I went to Tibet, and it was it was really I was in my twenties at the time, so I mean it's really shocking to see the effect that communism has on the general public when you grow up in a place like America. Um, I thought you were a communist. I'm a far left. No, <laughs> I um, I don't know. I don't think I'm a communist, but I remember that I was on the train in China and we had just figured out. I mean, we basically like scalped tickets to go to Tibet because we didn't want to buy like a government tour of it, in which case, like, you know, it's completely like falsified. And I was speaking to this woman who was um, a professor. I mean, I think she had a PhD. She was quite educated woman, probably at that point in her 40s. And I told her that we were going to Tibet and I had family living in China. So I was staying with them. I was there for about a month. And um, I said, we're so excited to go to Tibet. It's just so crazy. Um how so many people have been killed there for the most minor infractions. And she said, nobody's ever been killed there. I mean, and it seems like she really believed that. So I, it's just insane, like to think that the government can have that much control over what people are thinking. She, she's, she hasn't been around much. I've been around you know, quite a bit, actually. You know, I, I want to say something, you know, because we have been attacking communism. I want to say that that oppression, repression, government brutality is just as vile when it comes from the extreme right. As, and in, in some respects, you might say it's even worse on the extreme left. At least there is a there or, or there was a, a, a claim that it was going to lift people up. Uh, I, I think extremism from either side, left or right, is 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 vile, and and I reject it on either extreme. I and I do not, you know, it, it's it's odd for me to hear to hear myself uh, going on against against the left uh, without mentioning the right. Uh, I think they're both equally dis despicable. Agreed. No, of course, agreed. The, the, the reason I I believe the reason you find yourself in that position is because. Nobody ever defends the authority, the Nazis or whatever it is, but because the and, and really, is there any difference between the Nazis and and Stalin or whatever it is? But, but because the left uh, dresses itself up in this. In this language that you're talking about of, of lifting people up and ending poverty and all this stuff. People romanticize it and they uh, see something which isn't there, that one is really different from the other. But I think you'd agree this is just, as Whoopi Goldberg said, this is man's inhumanity to man and power corrupting and brutality well, finding an it, excuse. It, 
it's it's not just men's and humanity to man. I, I think it is it is power trying to to tighten is its grasp. It's it, it is the powerful trying to perpetuate control. Uh, and and that's you know that, that it's it's very it's not it's not the banality of evil. It's evil with a very very specific purpose. Yeah, you know, it's not way, random. It's about holding power. I, I like to needle my co-host Periel from time to time because she she was all into Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian banality of evil. You know what that is? Yeah. What is that? Like make it's just seems. You know where the phrase comes from? Where, no, I don't know where the phrase comes anyway, from. Anyway, so uh, where does it come from? Uh, Hannah Arendt. That's uh, the. Oh, I know who Hannah Arendt oh. is. So anyway, was that uh, the title of one of her books? No, it's Eichmann in Jerusalem. It's uh, right, anyway. now you're just showing off. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I, I you came on our radar because you wrote an article about the America's uh, crime wave. It's on CNN. Why does yes. it say CNN, but it's an MSNBC address? That's very strange. It's, anyway. it's, yeah, I don't know what that is. They they pick it up and put it, but it's it, it's a CNN article. CNN. Uh, America's crime wave tests both parties. Um, and I just want to preface it by saying. I know Giuliani is like uh, uh, a crazy person now. But before he was Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, whichever, whichever was the normal one in that before he was Mr. Hyde, he was Dr. Jekyll. And the Dr. Jekyll of Giuliani was a great mayor, widely considered to be a great mayor of New York City. And I lived in New York in the 90s. And everybody I knew was mugged. Close family members were assaulted violently, uh, hurt. And Giuliani became mayor and we saw crime basically disappear. And then I heard many social scientists say that although it looked like Giuliani's policies and later Bloomberg's policies were uh, to be credited for that. It wasn't that at all. There were really other things, whether it was lead paint or uh, birth rates or these freakonomics. People said it was abortions, whatever it is. There were were many other explanations that floated for why the crime had violent crime had basically disappeared in many in New York and in many big cities. And then all of a sudden, and I, and I, and, and honestly, although it didn't feel right to me, I was open to that. I keep an open mind about things because correlation may not be causation. And then we have a new kind of era of police standing down and of um, old ideas about crime becoming popular again. And then sure enough, I see the crime wave going up again. and. Yet I'm being told, well, this is this is another coincidence, even though all the Giuliani policies are now abandoned and are, and are uh, in disfavor. Just because the murder rate is coming up again, that has one is not to do with the other. And I'm beginning to find it hard to accept. I'm beginning to feel more and more that no, no, no. Unfortunately, granting all the things that are true about uh, about police brutality and about police going too far and a all of it, it does seem to me that when policing got stronger, crime went down. And as policing has lost its confidence, crime is going up. Did you find different in your research? What I found is that the the crime rate, the violent crime rate went up with the pandemic. And what went up more than anything else is the, the homicide rate. Uh, it had it went up more than it had 
in a single year from 2019 to 2020, it went up, I think, 30%. And it was the largest increase in about, I don't know, 100 years, something like that. It was a huge increase. It's still lower than it was in the 70s and 80s, but the increase was very high. Something happened in 2020. Something happened in 2020. I want to let you speak, but it's lower in some places. But for instance, I think Philadelphia had a record homicide year. I think in, in some places, it's even higher than it was. You know, urban urban areas have more violence just because there's a higher density of uh, of population. But so so something happened. It wasn't what what happened didn't happen in, in 2018 or 2019 or 2017. It happened in 2020. It happened in the year the year from hell. You know, 2020 was just horrendous. It was we had the pandemic raging. Uh, with, with fear, you know, without a vaccine, we didn't know where it was going to go. We had, we had this crazy president who, was, who seemed to be determined to not do the right thing unless he had no other choice. And we had the social justice protests, huge protests in the streets. We had the whole, you know, the, the whole Trump election uh, machine with, with their claims that there were going to be lies, his attacks on the police, and we had on the other side, the you know on the Demo- the Democrat side, the claims of uh, you know defund the police, so attacks against the police, at least verbal attacks, mostly against the police, uh, mostly not only. Uh, so there was there was a huge level of frustration. People staying home, businesses shuttered, jobs lost. It was a unique year. It was a unique year. Uh, so I don't think so. The what happened was not just a change in the number of police and and police are a huge factor in crime but not the only factor one of the biggest factors you know it's interesting because the the pandemic didn't just happen in the united states as we know the pandemic struck the whole world only in the united states the uh murder rate exploded during the pandemic what is the biggest difference between the united states and the rest of the developed world guns guns so that is a huge factor. No other country has as many guns per capita as the United States, not even close, not even Yemen that's in the middle of a civil war, not even Iraq, no country has as many guns per capita as the United States by a huge margin, by a huge margin. So guns are a big piece of the puzzle, a big, big piece of the puzzle. Uh, they're not the only, the only thing. And, and you know, in, that, in this article, the point that I made is that the crime issue has been so politicized that nobody seems to be looking for a solution. That the or well, that's not fair. But but there are too many people who are just shouting slogans and, and sound bites instead of really looking for solutions. And that that is terrible for the United States. It's terrible for democracy around the world. And it's a beautifully wrapped up gift with a little boat on top for autocrats like like. Putin and Xi Jinping in China who are claiming that democracy doesn't work. Well, listen, I'm no fan of guns, but I don't follow it exactly because guns are guns are a constant in this equation. The guns were there in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, and they've, and they've been there all along. There's two or three hundred million. There's more guns than people in the country, even even if so they are sick, even if they and never there are more. Pre- but there are more guns now than ever. But well, I, like I said, it's not the only factor. I think there, there are a lot of. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. There's more guns than ever, but not uh, appreciably. Um, there's not more access to guns than ever in the inner city. You can get a gun very. What, what is 
different is that the police seem to be demoralized. And um, now, again, don't take this to mean that I support or 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 don't support anything. But just say, stop and frisk was eliminated. Stop and frisk took a lot of guns off the street. Uh, I've spoken to prosecutors who who've told me that they kind of like thrown their hands up because um, because of the uh, the police are afraid to arrest people. And it, it doesn't seem to me that guns could be if guns are a constant and the pandemic is a constant. What isn't a constant between us versus other countries? Well, it was George Floyd. It was the defund the police. Other 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 countries are not doing that. But other countries don't have guns like this, you know. But we had the guns in the '90s when crime disappeared. There are there are a lot more guns now. There guns no. are are handled differently. You know, there's guns have become such an iconic uh, symbol of empowerment for people on on the on the right. Uh, you people, you know, it has been the issue of gun ownership has been turned into a motivator and people, you know, people are allowed to carry guns, you know, here and, you know, I'm in Atlanta right now where uh, you, you're allowed to take a, a gun to a bar and get drunk. You're allowed yeah, to take a gun to church. But those aren't the guns being used in the crimes that we're seeing. In Chicago, well, just when makes... they have 40, 50, 60 shootings in a weekend, those are not right wing gun owners. Those are illegal handguns. But these are guns. It's it's easier to carry a gun. And I, I'm not going to say that guns are the only factor, even though I'm convinced that they are the biggest factor. Uh, I think there is a there is a sense of uh, of disappointment with the system here, a sense of frustration, because one side is claiming that that you know, elections are stolen, you know, the deep state is doing these things. The other side is saying that the system is rigged. Uh, that everything is about, you know, about prejudice. So on both sides, there's a sense of frustration. Uh, I think the, the police piece of this is legitimate. I think there is a part of this, you know, the police officers are afraid to get involved in many cases. Uh, they don't want to, they don't want to find themselves on the wrong side of a, of a deadly case. Uh, I think that is a factor, well, the, the, but I don't if, think it's if, the only if gun, factor. If guns are, if guns are the uh, important variable here, why did crime drop in the 90s through the, the 2000s, starting in the 90s and continue through up through Bloomberg's term? Guns didn't. But I mean, you didn't have Bloomberg and Giuliani outside of New York City. The, the crime rate dropped all over the country. It wasn't just in New York. Well, it dropped most, but it didn't drop so much in Chicago, it doesn't seem like. But yeah, I, I'm not I don't know the, the details of Chicago, but the, the, the drop in crime was not just a New York phenomenon. And but, in fact, you know, the crime rate is way lower right now, even after this big spike is way lower than it was in the 70s and 80s. And, that, and I'm not talking about New York. I'm talking about the whole country. But why? But why did it drop? Because because it's important to have a theory about why it dropped. You can't you can't have a theory about why it, it's increasing without. Uh, analyzing why it dropped, they're probably related, right? Uh, it's possible. I mean, I think that what I think that the climb is very, you know, it's very specific. It happened in one year. I mean, it was it's not a it, it wasn't a trend. You know, the, the crime didn't just start gradually climbing over the years the way it declined. It just spiked. It went up like an Omicron chart. You know, it was going it, up. Actually, it was actually was. I remember arguing on Facebook with some people because the murder rates were ticking up in like 2017 and 2018. And my friends say, no, no, it's. It's just noise. I'm like, well, you don't you can't tell 
you can't tell a trend until you've given it time to show itself. You know, everything starts somewhere. But in 2020, and then, and then it really took off. But there's data like this guy Roland 30, Fryer, this Harvard economist. Have you read his 30 percent, 30 percent that went up in one year, 30 percent. I mean, that's that's huge. No, that's not that's not a trend. Something happened there. And, and we know, I mean, we were all here in 2020. It was the year from hell. It was awful. Many, many things went wrong. Uh, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the society's attitude towards the police certainly is one of the things that that happened that year. And I'm, I'm sure it's a factor. You know, a lot of police officers quit there. You know, a lot of police officers wanted to stand back. A lot of police officers got in trouble when they intervened. So, you know, it's understandable that as human beings, they became more reluctant to get involved in some cases. So, you know, that's that's a factor. OK, but it's, uh, it's, and, and then we'll 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 leave it alone if you want. But there's three things that come to mind, which are clear and would seem to be related to crime. And I'll say first is stop and frisk, which I was not a supporter of. I thought stop and frisk was was I mean, Bloomberg actually said that he would arrest young black kids for marijuana crimes, even though they didn't care about the marijuana, just as an excuse to try to see if they had guns. And and but 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 just because I didn't support it doesn't mean I ever thought it wouldn't be effective at catching kids with guns. So they stopped that. They've also um, lowered bail, letting a lot of people go on bail that they didn't used to. And we've had the, the George Floyd thing where a lot of police are demoralized. It really would seem that those three things would add up to a spike in crime but yet you attribute it to guns. So that's, I mean- No, 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 but no, don't, yeah. don't, don't twist my words here. Yeah. I didn't say I am attributing the whole thing to guns. I, I am not saying that. I told you there are, there, there are you know, huge soci sociological factors, psychological factors. You know, this was, there was, this was a year of enormous emotional stress for the entire country. Yeah. It was a year of enormous economic stress for much of the country. It was a year of, of violence. It was a year of friction. It was a year of, of clashes. It was a year of polarization. It was a year of anger. It's not just the guns, but when you put all these things together and you put a lot of guns in the middle of that, it's not hard to predict what's going to happen. So it's it's the whole thing. And, you know, more more police, good policing lowers crime. I think that's not that should not be controversial. Yeah. Apparently it, it is. But but more policing is is good at, at, at protecting people. Well, one of the things that you said in the article that I thought was really interesting was that um, I believe you said that you had been living in Amsterdam and that one of the things that you noticed was that the police there always remains like exceptionally calm and try to diffuse the situation and take everything really down a notch. You were more articulate than that. But it is and that sort of the opposite was true in the United States. Is that accurate? You know, I, yes. You know, I, I've been spending part of the year in Amsterdam for, for a long time and from the beginning, I was always shocked to see how police would react when when people were were harassing them. You know, when they not just when they intervened in a conflict, but uh, when people would come to them. You know, I thought you no, know, people don't respect the police here. I thought it was a problem, but then over the years, I came to realize that that the police were were lowering the temperature on every conflict and. 
I, I, I never saw it, you know, get out of control. I, I saw, I've seen some things happen there because there's a problem with, with some, some gangs there too, some drug trafficking and, you know, people trafficking gangs. But, you know, the, the murder rate in the Netherlands is uh, 90% lower than in the United States, 90% lower per capita. Uh, but mostly what you see is the police diffusing conflict. Yeah, when, you I know, mean, when the police walk into a, into, into a fight, the fight ends slowly, gradually. People are, you know, and people aren't armed usually when they're fighting. You know, but it's, you know, there's a difference between two people yeah. coming to blows with their fists. Yeah, both of those things seem to be enormous factors. I don't, I, I think there's big differences between the problems we have and some of these other countries have. When you read about the heartbreaking stuff that goes on in Chicago and, and the just total disregard for life and for children's lives. I don't know. Do you see that? Do you see that in Amsterdam? I, I don't I don't know that you do. You know, I'll tell you what I see. If you look at the statistics, the, the statistics show that where, when there are more guns, more people die. And there, when there are more guns, more suicides succeed when there are more guns. You know, the, the Republicans, you know, right now in Georgia, they are they're pushing something called a constitutional carry, which is basically getting rid of of gun permits. Anybody can have a gun. That, that's kind of where the, the direction of it. Uh, it you know, the, 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 this every study has shown that more, you know, the, the claim that the, of the people who, who are protecting gun rights is that people deserve because there's so much violence and so much crime. We all have a right to defend ourselves. The facts are that you know, the, the statistics show that when you have more guns, you have more deaths. You have in, in states where there are more guns, there are higher, higher murder rates. In, sure. In I mean, it's just where, obvious. I mean, it's common sense. Yeah, it's just obvious, right? I mean, no, yeah, no. I mean, every once in a while, a crime is, is stopped by someone with a gun. It's so rare. It's so rare. Usually what happens with guns is that people get hurt rather than the opposite. Well, I, I'm no supporter of guns, but. Nobody needs guns except for like nobody should have guns. There's no reason. No, I don't. Agree. I don't agree with that. Well, I do. Well, I, if I were if I were living uh, alone, or if I was a woman living alone in a bad neighborhood, and I, I would absolutely want a firearm to protect myself. Well, isn't the statistic that most of the time that people like citizens who have guns get them used against themselves? Isn't that like? Hasn't that been like? quite well documented that if I, don't, I don't know that that's true. But I well, all I'm saying is that. Uh, wanting to protect yourself. When it's rational to want to protect yourself in an environment where that, that is dangerous. Um, I couldn't tell somebody that's unreasonable I, to, to just, you know, you know I, just let it happen. <laughs> I have a feeling that more people shoot the wrong person when they own a gun for for self-protection than than people shoot uh intruders i think that's much more common using the gun on the wrong wrong person how often do we hear about children that find guns people who parents who shoot their children because they heard they heard the noise it happens so much it happens so much it's it so you know it, it sounds really great to have a gun to protect yourself but it, it ends up not working so well. no i don't think it sounds great i think it sounds terrible i don't i yeah. think that for the most part like they're really citizens do not need guns and if you look at countries as you mentioned where they don't exist like it's people don't die for them 
Okay. Yeah. Well, wait, 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 in, we, in, this is instead of instead of guns, no, um, instead of guns, and just to make your point, to to concede a big point to you, instead of more guns, it would be good to have more police, so that when somebody's getting into your house, you can they you can get somebody to to help you really really fast. Or more candy. Yeah, they're also I'm trying to I'm trying to bring it up, but my Internet is not working here for some reason. I, I, this is just it's, it's be Oh, I know why, because I'm using my hotspot on my phone because we're low budget here and our Wi-Fi is it doesn't work. But when um, there was an article in uh, 538.com. And it, it. OK, I'm putting it on and it. Showed gun violence by community. And. Unfortunately, our our gun violence is really a uh, um, I think twenty to one or something like that, or, or I'm sorry, twelve to one in the inner cities, and that the non inner city city communities and many of these many of these are places where guns are easy to buy, have only a slightly higher rate of gun violence and, and homicide than places like Canada. With, with with high gun control. I'll bring it up for you. I think I'm getting it now. Um, and this is a tragedy. It's it's just it's just a national tragedy. And I I suspect that it's not easily just controllable by saying we need to get rid of guns because you can't get rid of anything that people want. You can't get rid of drugs. You can't get rid of anything that there's a, a market for. They did a really good job of getting rid of guns in, in Australia after they had the after they had a mass shooting in the United States, by the way, it's it's 10 years since uh, since um, the children were killed. And uh, what's the name of the town? It's slipping my mind. Park, right now. Um, Parkland, Parkland. No, no. The, the 10 years ago, the little kids that just got that judgment against the gun. Yeah, wasn't it Parkland? Newtown. Newtown. Yeah. In Newtown. Since yeah. then, there have been thousands, literally thousands of mass shootings. It's sick. There were it I, really I saw is. a count twenty five hundred mass shootings at, oh, as mass, of like a mass year ago. Are a whole other thing. Also, well, the mass fact shootings that... are a huge are a part of it. Mass, but, you well, know, was... no other no other country in the world has mass shootings. You know, I had a friend of mine the other day said there is a mass shooting down the street from me. Why isn't anybody reporting it? And he said, you know what? It's not news anymore. That is such an outrage. Right. That is but, such an outrage. But the mass shootings were a tiny part of the overall. Murder statistics. Well, they're, they're a sign of what's happening in this country. There is no other country in the world where people routinely get shot at in schools and in, in, you know, in shopping malls. Here, it, it doesn't even make the news anymore. Yeah, it's I, a, it's I totally agree with you. It's, it's, a, it's a scandal and it's a failure of government that nobody's able to do anything about it, that it's become completely politicized. And, you know, on, on the on the Republican side, all they do is try to bring more guns uh, on the local level, you know, Small police departments, even mayors are trying to do something about it. But on a national level, it's become it's it's a, it's it's an embarrassment. I completely agree with you. I think it's psychotic, actually. And if I may, in the little bit of reading that I've done since we got oh, on, brother, yeah, it seems like that would be a good example of the banality of evil. All right. Which actually is the title of Hannah Arendt's book. All right. I, anyway, if. I can't. I'm I'm embarrassed, but I can't bring up uh, this this article. What are you looking for? I will send it to you, Frida, when we. Uh, what are you looking for? Uh, oh, here it is. So there's an article here, and this is about the tragedy of um, the gun violence on Black America. 
and it is it is a national tragedy, a national shame. Homicide. This is 538.com. Uh, black Americans are killed at 12 times the rate of people in other developed countries. You could read this. So homicide deaths per 100,000. United States, uh, Black America is the highest in the world on this list. 19.4 Black Americans killed per 100,000 people. Uh, the next on this list is Lithuania with 6.9, from 19.4 to 6.9. And then United States overall is 5.2. It's actually about seven right now. What year is that from? This is um, 2010 to 12. Yeah. Okay. It's gone up. Yeah, it went up, you know, last year. OK, I'm sure it all ticked up. So the 19.4 is probably higher as well. Uh, it says United States white, which I take when I say white, I take to mean these states like Texas or whatever it is that have, you know, people can go into a store and buy a gun is 2.5 uh, homicides per 100,000. And Canada is, if I remember correctly, is 1.5. Per hundred thousand, yeah. So, with so, all so our, Canada. So, listen to that. Canada is less than a quarter of the United States. Right. No, this is per capita. Yeah, per capita. We're talking per capita here. Yeah. Yeah. One point. So, so, so with so in Canada, one point five out of a hundred thousand people die in gun deaths. In America, among the white, you know, Republicans, basically, um, two point five. One, one more out of a hundred thousand. A tiny number. No, one, we, no, no. It's not a tiny number. It's twice as many people. Dying. I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of people. Dying. Well, twice as many of a small number. Uh, uh, no, it's not. It's twice as many out, out of three hundred million people. I mean, it's it's not a small number. Well, okay. I, I, you know, you're looking at wait, those. Wait, just, wait, hold on. But then, okay. but then, but then, from from there to when you go to the United States to to the black community, it goes to basically twenty. So everybody has the same access to guns. So something is going on ter terribly beyond the guns is all I'm saying that we need to to figure out. Yeah. And it and it. But I, I, I wonder at some point if by not. Facing this problem head on. That we are. Um, not being fully humane to the people who are dying in this country, in other words, if we're not going to examine the, the, the cultural problem, whatever is going on in certain communities. And just say, well, it's guns, so it's not, it's not, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. We've got to get rid of the guns. It's a lot of people are dying. A lot of children are not, dying. It's not and what I think the only of, way to stop it is police, as you said. Police. It's not what we're saying. No, it's you know, nobody's saying, or at least I'm not saying that it's guns. All we have to do is get rid of the guns. I didn't say that. I yeah. said there are a lot of other things. And I said more police would help. Uh, I think. A more different, a different kind of police training would help. I think another thing, one of the ideas that's that's uh, being implemented and discussed and implemented that I think is very, very useful is to have some kind of a mental health component to 911 calls. I think that will be very, very helpful. I think the whole uh, uh, correction system, the way the way people are put in prison in this country for minor crimes and and you know creating hardened criminals is a huge part of the problem too. Uh, but I, I do think that guns are a big part of the problem. And you're, you're looking at your statistics. I'm, I have it. You know, I have another monitor here full of statistics. One of the things I'm looking at here is this uh, this chart. It, this this has this is a map of the United States and it shows how states with tighter gun control laws have fewer gun related deaths. That's the headline here. States with tighter gun control laws have fewer gun related deaths. I mean, there it's it's. 
guns are a part of the problem and denying it is just as cruel How can that to be the people when new york and illinois have the, the so much such high death rates well you know this it's you, you don't look just at one state you analyze the whole thing and you have you know guns you know states what are the states with the highest uh, deaths by firearm louisiana uh New York is high, but it's not. It, New York is actually not one of the higher ones. Maybe New what York City. This? What's the highest? Well, New York was very low for a while, but now they seem to be coming back. Okay, but this, this one is high. this one is two, this is actually 2007. But the point here is that the states that that gun control actually lowers deaths. Yeah, That's I'm, the I'm point. And just and just like you're saying that it's that it's cruel to the people who are dying to ignore all these other factors. It's equally cruel to ignore the fact that guns are a part of the problem. Yeah, I do want to make another point and then I guess we can we can end. But um, I always do have trouble with just uh, uh, describing things in percentages because when something has a very low number, for instance, when the positivity rate for testing uh, COVID is 0.1 and then it goes to 0.3, it's a 300% increase. And when the positivity rate is 10% and it goes to 20%, it's only a 200% increase. But obviously going from 10 to 20% is way more serious than going from 0.1 to 0.3. When you have something which is one out of 100,000, you can't even increase it less than 100%. I mean, if it's one person out of 100,000, as soon as it's two people, now it's a 100% increase. So it, it becomes very, like I know this in your article, like Montana went up to 80, increased by 84%. But that might have just been three extra murders. It's very it, it, it's absolute numbers. I, do need to be mentioned okay, so, when the numbers are very low. OK, so so because we're talking about numbers and we're talking about the, the deaths in the United States in the year 2020, 45,000 gun deaths, 45,000 human beings died from gun violence in 2020, 45,000. And that was 30 percent more than the than the year before. It's a huge number. So that means that it went up from about 35,000 to 40, roughly from 30, 35,000 to 45,000. That is a lot of people. It's crazy. It's that a is lot. a lot, a lot of people. And, you know, when you talk about people dying, I always think I always think that every every person who dies is 10 lives that are devastated. You know, you know, you have parents and close friends and, and children and siblings and relatives. So it's it's a huge problem. It's a huge, huge, huge. problem. And, and, you know, it's there's something interesting. It hadn't occurred to me till just now, but it's something that would probably interest you, which is that at the same time, and I agree with you, I'm, you know, at the same time, we're acknowledging that uh, guns need to be controlled. We have a movement on the left, which is simultaneously calling for gun control, but then not wanting to incarcerate armed robbers unless they pull the trigger. And that seems like madness to me. If you're really serious about guns and, and the, I agree, and think I guns think, are so dead. I'm sorry. I think crime, I think crime needs to be punished. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that's important. And I think that's, I, I think it's a, a major component of, of uh, bringing down the crime rate. I agree with you on that. But I also think that what you said before is really important also that the prison system is, creating more problems than it's solving. I don't believe there, that. there has to be there has to be a, a, a more logical, a smarter way to deal with criminals so that they don't become better at being criminals every time they get caught. Yeah, and, you and want it to be rehabilitative in nature, don't you? I, I don't, can possible, you rehabilitate yes. people? I don't know. Yes, nobody of, knows. Of course you can. 
I mean, not everyone, but of course you can rehabilitate people. That's crazy. I I think we do this too often. I think we we recognize that something is operating badly and maybe even um, unacceptably bad. So I would said on this show before that when I hear about what happens happens in prison, you could convince me that sending anybody to prison is cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, I, I, I. But that is not the same thing as me saying. And it's making things worse. That's a whole nother step. So um, I can be against stop and frisk. And when I saw the statistics that, especially the, under the Bloomberg administration, which were much worse than under Giuliani, say, you know what? No community can live humiliated this way day to day. And, and, we, sh- and we should be able to find that acceptable. It's just too much to ask that number of innocent, law-abiding black people to be pulled over and frisked. I get that. That is not the same thing as saying, and by the way, it doesn't stop crime. And and what's painful about this, because it's very difficult to talk about this uh, head on. It could be true that you can't really make a dent in crime without stop and frisk and stop and frisk is unacceptable. Like those those things can all be true at the same time. We could say stop and frisk is unacceptable. And by the way, it's the only thing that works. And therefore, what are we left with? Something very unpleasant, which is we may have to have this level of crime and get used to it. No, I don't think so. I I think that there has to be another. um, I mean, I mean, I think that maybe it's a little bit of everything, right? That there's not some like magic button. I mean, it would be impressed, but there are certain things that are just obvious. Wouldn't it be so easy if we could just say, oh, it's just it's the prisons which are actually responsible for all the people who are going to prison. And if we could just clean up the prisons, nobody would need to go to prison anymore. But no, I mean, you keep keep doing that. You keep saying whenever we mention one thing, you keep saying that by itself isn't going to fix it. You know, welcome, no, I was, welcome no, to my life. I was referring to Periel, not to you. <laughs> and, yeah, and, but and Periel me... is, an, is also not saying that the, that the prisons are the only problem. Yeah, she is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely and I absolutely know that's not what you're saying. Just to be very clear. I don't mean to okay. be doing that. I don't mean to be mis, uh, uh, casting your words. And I don't think for a second that's what you're even trying to say. I'm, Just my I'm sure words. There's, I'm sure there's a name for that in 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 debate in, in the academics of debate. There is a name for that, but but I, but I know her very well. We're no, right? okay. no, no, don't do that. And I know how deep her thinking is on these matters. No, this is what I'll tell you. What is Periel is not good at contemplating that hard truths might exist, and there may be no easy answers. Or Periel just is good at that, but she just doesn't agree with maybe, you. Maybe, maybe this. So, so That's I, the other I, option. Yeah. Yes. I, thank I, you. I personally think that prisons are horrible and inhumane. I think. And, the, and the, they're particularly that way in the United States. Correct. Yeah, other, I meant the United than, States. than in many other developed countries. Yeah, yes. I meant the United States. And the notion that somebody should have to fear being anally raped in a prison at a time when we have all the technology in the world that ought to be able to stop it is just reprehensible. It makes me so fucking angry when I think about it, that it happens in this country, because I understand some problems are hard, but that could be stopped. That and yeah, I rem- send- What's that? I, I, rem- I remember the first time I heard the joke about don't drop the soap in prison. <laughs> and I realized that it's such a common occurrence here. It's it's treated as if as if it were a normal thing for people to be raped in prison. You're it's, right. I'm with you 100 percent. It's horrifying. And yeah. They could stop it. And they sh- and the notion that you could do something like take drugs 
and find yourself in prison and then traumatized for the rest of your life in some sort. It's just so basically you agree with what I said. Yes, but I oh, but okay. with, with the jump I won't make is to say that if we could just stop that, we would solve our crime problem. But I didn't yeah. say that. Or, or that or that we would even make it or that this is causing in some significant way the crime problem. I said yeah. that prisons should be rehabilitative in nature. I, I don't know if there's any evidence. Well, there actually is that you can actually rehabilitate people. Did I don't know. My, my in, in my life, the people that I've known who have. Um, no, I mean, have you ever do you know anyone who is a recovering addict? Have you ever met anyone who's in recovery? Yeah, I was just I was just about to mention that. Actually, but go ahead. Say what you wanted to say. Well, I mean, that's one one huge group of the pre, part of the prison prison population that where there is the potential for rehabilitation. Well, when I say that people can be rehabilitated, I don't mean to say that people who get older and have and have um, suffered as consequences their consequences for what they've done might not stop doing it. What I'm saying is I don't know if there's any magic system of processing minds in such a way like clockwork orange or something where they, where you, where they stop. I think people, as they get older, we know commit fewer crimes, become less violent and they learn from their mistakes, hopefully. Yeah. But I mean, just, you know, what percentage of the people who are in prison today are, are have an addiction problem. Exactly. If if, if you could offer those people uh, a good, good, uh, drug treat, drug and alcohol treatment program. I think you'd probably cut uh, the 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 criminal population in the country significantly. I, it's not a magic. Completely. It's not a magic formula. It's not going to rehabilitate everyone. Just you know, before you say it, it's not <laughs> going to end the, the homicide homicides in the United States. It's not going to solve all the problems of the inner city or the outer city or the medium city. I think it would. I think it would help. Can you come on the show every week with me? <laughs> where, where, where are you located? Uh, right now, I'm in Atlanta. I, I'm in Atlanta part of the time and Amsterdam part of the time. And I, I get a, I move around a lot. Yeah. Well, you come to New York sometime. All right. Yeah, you're I'd love very, to go very... to the cellar. So. Yes. Come visit us. Please do. Come talk some sense to Periel. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is a daunting problem. Uh, it scares me as a business owner when I heard the the district attorney here, he seems to have recanted, but who knows how, you know, what he really believes when I hear him talking about not punishing uh, armed robbery uh, in a serious way. It scares the hell out of me. Well, um, I'm going to show off a little bit just because you did. Have you have you read Discipline and Punish by Michel Foucault, the very important French philosopher and professor what at do you Berkeley? Think? <laughs> um I think that if you're going to talk shit that uh, to me that you should read it. And he talks about and this is going back. I think he wrote this in the 80s. It's an incredibly famous and important book on the prison system in America that it is. I mean, it's a torture chamber. Let me just add, because because just so you know, it informs my thinking. I don't know anybody who was murdered. I don't know anybody who was shot. But I knew people who had the shit kicked out of them, their heads slammed against the pavement. Uh, uh, violently traumatized for life in, in various ways that had nothing to do with guns. Well, it's a good thing. And they're alive, aren't they? They're, they're there alive, been, but I'm saying. Yeah, if there the, had been guns during those those encounters, they you would, would have gone to their funeral probably. Well, maybe they would have shot them. Maybe, but what I'm saying is that the the frequency that we seem to have people who are ready to do such things is a social problem that also needs to be talked about. Something is going no on in this country. 
that is beyond that. And, and yes, that's right. If you give that type of person a gun, then you're asking for murders. But that's not quite the same thing as saying the problem is guns. It's more like saying this guy has a problem. So keep the guns away from. Him. No, but we're saying guns it, is one of the problems. Nobody's saying that it's just guns. It's one factor. I, I'm just saying if, if you know that I'm a crazy person, I do. You don't let me get behind the wheel of a car because, you know, I'll kill somebody with it. That's not the same thing as saying cars are the problem. I know it's very close to the cliche. Guns don't kill people. People do. But there is some truth to that. And depending on politics and partisanship, it becomes very difficult to talk about that without somebody trying to pigeonhole you as, oh, you're just some right wing guy. Or, oh, you're just some left wing guy. The, the truth is the truth is elusive here. The truth is elusive. And that's why I really wish we knew better. You'd think we would. You'd think social scientists would know, but we don't know. Why did crime drop like a stone? We really need to have a, unif a, a, a theory about that that we all agreed on, because why don't we do that again? Whatever it was, can we do it again? If we knew what it was, we could try to do it again. If we can't agree on what it was, we can't get rid of lead paint again. Lead paint is already gone. So, you know, and, and it's tough to talk about because we're at a terrible time in our in our uh, national discourse where it's very difficult to talk about anything, especially something which touches on racial matters and so, and, and other matters like that. So anyway, you've been a fantastic guest. And it's been uh, a pleasure. Thank you I so I much. Hope, I hope it was your pleasure. I hope it I hope was. You, yeah, I hope you'd come and do it again. And I hope you will come visit us in New York. Yes. Um, and that's it. That's very nice to meet you. And, you know, just let's to, to finish on that. What I think is a relatively positive note, uh, you know, the, the murder rate went up 30 percent in 2020. It went up only five percent last year. So maybe it's leveling off. Maybe we'll start going down. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. It's very scary now you know, in, in New York. I, you know, and, and some of that is just uh, alarmism. It's you know, the numbers are much lower than they used to be. Yeah, but it's 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 nerve wracking to see people thrown in front of trains and stuff like that. This is well beyond gun violence. OK, Frida, very nice to meet nice, you. Thank nice you so you. much. Bye, Periel. Bye, Frida. Good night, everybody. Good night. Wait, no, let her go and then we'll just say good night. Nicole, you're going to um, disconnect her. Uh, she can just hang up. Oh, you can, you can okay. hang up. I'm hanging up. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, Periel. All right. <sighs> <laughs> what do you think, Nicole? I thought she was great. Super interesting. Yeah, she's a, she's a nice, she's a nice, uh, good vibe, right? Good, uh, good vibes from her. You can always tell somebody with good vibes, no matter what side of the, the aisle they are and what their ideology is. There is a big difference between people with good vibes and people without them. Um, did you think I had good vibes when we first met? Yes, I did. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for you to say that. No, no, I did. But it bothers me that you just go hook, line and sinker on these is, you know, panacea like thing. Oh, you agreed Chris. with what I said. No, I don't. You literally articulated the exact fucking thing that I said. And you agreed with me. Nobody said that that's the only thing. What I mean, I don't understand, like in what context saying that if prisons were rehabilitative, that would be helpful is even like a controversial thing to say. Guns are dangerous in the hand of somebody in a rage 
guns are dangerous in the hands of somebody who is careless, accidental death. Guns are dangerous in the hands of the mentally ill. Okay, so you don't like that I said that I don't think anybody should have guns? No, but guns are especially dangerous in the hands of people who were inclined to shoot people. Okay, but... And we have a lot of people in this country who are ready and willing to shoot each other. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that, though. And um, you think they can be rehabilitated? I think some of them can. And I think that that should be the focus of the prison system. I think it should also be to keep people safe. I think that people who commit violent crimes do need to be separated from society. But I also think that but the- that's a little bit out of style these days. OK, well, maybe so. But that maybe that is out of style. I hope but- it's not. But I also think that I think the gun laws in this country are terrible. I think that um, the fact that you can walk into a place like Walmart and buy a gun is terrifying. I think that the fact that you can be mentally ill and buy a gun and completely unstable is terrifying. And I think that the inner city violence is terrifying also. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, But I also think I could say anything and you would disagree with me. Listen, I was I am I am worried that we're going to find I'm worried about it, that the only way to control violent crime. Is going to be. Moving back in the direction from whence we've come. I hope not. I hope not. Also, why don't we end on a positive note? I'm worried about that because. That's not a good alternative. What we were doing was not um, should not. I mean, some people couldn't care less about it, but I'm not one of those people. I think it was we took a real toll on populations in this country and in this city. In that heavy handed enforcement. That we were into. And I think that heavy handed enforcement might have saved at the same time a lot of lives. And we're going to have to choose. We might have to choose where to draw that line. And those very, very tough choices to make. Very tough choices to make. Anyway. But, you know, that's. I like that you think about these things deeply. Well, I had a vodka before the show started. Anyway, Nicole, what do you think? It was awesome. I had a great time over here. (laughs) She always says the same thing. What would you do about crime, Nicole? What would I personally do about crime? I don't know. I, I'm really scared. Like, have you seen that story about this guy following that woman into her apartment? Yes. I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm terrified. I, I know. That me story. Too. Was that was that it Kim was Kardashian? It was right next to the <laughs> Kanye and Kim story. What was what's the story? Um, She's like a 35 year old woman who was heading home after a night out and like got out of her cab, went inside and a, a guy followed her inside into her apartment. OK, and but wait, you're leaving out like the most important details, Nicole that he's homeless and mentally ill and that he was out on bail on Mr. Court date for a violent crime. And she was also Asian. And she said that and people were saying that it's, um, you know, race based or of course, they do. you, you can any, any any victim of any crime that's not a white person. It has to be race based. An Asian person could never just be mugged or killed like a, like a human. It has to be because of their race. They, they say this. Without, well, they said that then. Uh, listen, I'm just reporting. No, I know, but they say, they say this all the time without any empirical reason to say it. 
We well, have- I think the more upsetting thing or not the could more be. upsetting unless, thing unless it could be is that he should have been in jail like he had no business being out on the street. He had committed a violent crime and he had missed a court date. And if they hadn't let him go. This is this is the thing I didn't I should have said to Frida. I'm really say, hungry. I, yeah, we're gonna go. I meant to say it to Frida, but we didn't. But it's an important point. We have way more gun violence in this country than they have in the rest of the world. Yeah. We have may way more non-gun violence. Is that true? Absolutely, it's true. We have way more assaults. We have we have way more crime. But you also do have this thing of criminalized. Um, Drugs are should not be criminalized. Drugs, drug incarcerations have fallen like a stone over the last. I I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I know you don't know because I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing we we can all agree on. (laughs) Ariel doesn't know. (laughs) Okay, Uh, bye everybody. Good night. Oh wait, you can email us at email us at podcast at comedysolar dot com. Bye.